Yeah, Dunnigan should be calling in too. Love Talk Radio. cut that off something's wrong with the audio tonight good evening everybody and welcome to golf talk live i'm your host ted odorico got a great show for you tonight and i uh, want to thank you all for for tuning in just waiting for one more of the uh, panelists to come on on the coach's corner panel but uh, got a great show for you tonight got actually five gentlemen coming on uh coach's corner tonight a little bit larger than i normally have here but not to worry we'll uh, rotate things around as best we can and then a little bit later on in the show uh, i'm going to have my very special guest from ufo Tour Golf, uh, Mr. Stephen Hopkins. He's the president uh, of that uh, organization, and uh, he'll be joining me on the second half of the show. But in the meantime, uh, let me just uh, remind everybody that we are live on Thursday nights from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, and uh, that's 7 to 9 for you on the East Coast, and five, uh, 4 to 6 for those of you on Pacific Time. Uh, best way to find us, go to blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live or just type in golf talk live up in the search key and that will bring you into the main page and uh, you can listen to the show either live uh, on Thursdays as I said from 6 to 8 central uh, or you can scroll down a little further down the page and uh, you'll see the on demand section so for those of you that can't join us live here uh, you can tune in uh, whenever it's convenient for you and you can listen to the recorded version at a later date uh, also we'd love to hear from you on the, on the show at any time uh, you can speak uh, or call into the guests number is area code 646-716-4667, uh, or you can email any questions or comments to me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And if you're interested in coming on the show, if you're um, maybe somebody in the golf profession, whether you're a teacher or coach, or uh, maybe you've uh, got a great product out there or service that you've uh, offered to the golf community, we'd love to hear from you. you reach me at ted.golftalklive at gmail.com. And it sounds like one of my guys is outside because I'm getting a lot of wind feedback, so whoever it is, stop. Uh, anyways, but um, also you can get updates on social media at facebook.com forward slash golf talk live blog. And also uh, you can follow me on Twitter at 10 and Buck CEO uh, is the best way to reach uh, out as well. As I mentioned, we're going to be starting off with a uh, great coach's corner uh, this evening. Uh, my, my very special guests are Clint Wright, Chuck Evans, John Dunnigan, Tom Stickney, uh, who we're just waiting for, and Brian Dobby, who's, uh, most of which have all been on the show before in some uh, way, shape, or form. And I'm going to read out just a little bit about each of them, and then I'm going to bring the guys on, and we'll begin the discussion. Uh, Clint Wright is a 30-year member of the PGA. He's a partner at TGM Golf and a big proponent of the R3 approach and one of the best, in my opinion, covering the short game today. Uh, plus, one of my favorite guests and panelists uh, here on the Coach's Corner has been on many, many times. Uh, Chuck Evans also uh, been on a number of times on Coach's Corner and also as a guest as well. And he's a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, uh, Golf Digest Top Teachers in America, and Top 50 Growth of the Game teacher as well. And he's also the Executive Director uh, of Instruction for Medicus Golf Academies and the owner of Chuck Evans Golf. Uh, also welcoming back, uh, has been on the show for a little while, John Dunnigan. He's a PGA Master Teach Professional. He's also a Golf Magazine Top 100 teacher, and he's also on the advisory board for the Certified Coaches Association. Uh, he's also um, certified in laser optics putting uh, coach and TPI certified as well. And uh, Brian Dobby, a good friend as well. He's been on the show a number of times, not only in Coach's Corner, but also 
as a guest. He's a PGA member and currently the director of instruction at the Montclair uh, Golf Club in West Orange, New Jersey. And some of Brian's accomplishments in the New Jersey PGA include the 2005 Assistant of the Year Award, 2010 Junior uh, Golf Leader Awards, and also the 2015 Junior Youth Development Award. And he's also recognized by Golf Digest as one of the top 10 teachers uh, in New Jersey. And last but not least, as I said, we're just waiting for him to come on board, uh, is Tom Stickney. He's been on as a guest before as well. Uh, he's the Director of Operations at the Vedanta uh, Golf Academies, and uh, he's a 23-plus year veteran uh, as a full-time in, uh, instructional experience. He's also a Golf Magazine Top 100 Teacher, Golf Digest Top Teacher, and Golf Tips Top 25 Instructor. And guys, welcome to uh, Golf Talk Live and to Coach's Corner. Glad to be here. Hey, Ted. Hey, everybody. Good to be here. Hi, All right. Um, Thanks for having us. Like I said, we're... We're, well, not a problem. I'm glad to have you guys, and, and uh, you guys got to quit doing so much. Your bios are getting so big, I don't have enough time to read. We almost burnt half the hour out just reading all your bios out. Um, only kidding. Um, no, guys, seriously, thank you very much for coming on. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I enjoy doing the show very much, as I've mentioned many, many times. And uh, as I said, we're going to wait. I, I have a feeling that maybe Tom uh, might have got mixed up with the time a little bit since he's in a different uh, zone than we are. Um, but uh, we'll we'll keep a spot for him here just in case. But I'm going to get the conversation going, if you don't mind, guys, uh, just to keep things rolling along. I, I want to talk about, and, and Clint, if you don't mind, I'm going to throw you under the bus first, as, as always. Sure. Um, there you go. I, I want to <laughs> We're going to talk about a variety of different things, but the first thing I want to talk about some of the differences and, and the value particularly um, between on-course instruction and versus the practice uh, or range, uh, if you will, the practice facility. Talk about some of the pros and cons for each, uh, if any. And, um, and I want to do this a little bit differently tonight, guys. I want to talk to uh, you guys in, with respect to our amateurs and maybe some of our uh, higher caliber or low handicap players. What are some of the differences between the two? Um, should, more, uh, should the lower handicap have more range time versus on course or the other way around? and vice versa for the other. So, Clint, I'm going to let you start the conversation, and then uh, we'll sure. go down in order uh, with Chuck, uh, John, and Brian uh, rounding it out. Okay. Chuck, it's, it's really simple. I don't think there's any negative about either one. I think they both have a very clear purpose. And one of the things that I do is, is the on-range of the practice facility, I'm wanting to make sure that the student is technolo- from a technical standpoint and fundamental standpoint sound. I want to work on their technique on the on the range, making sure that they get proper ball contact and ball close, up and runs up in the air. They get a litany of shots that they have available to them. Then the next step, once we've got that covered, I'm going to take them on the golf course or to our practice short game area that gives us a number of different shot scenarios, and then mm-hmm. start talking to them about how they're going to make a decision on which one of their shots that they have perfected will give them the best chance of getting the ball close in that particular circumstance. So I, I don't see a negative about either one. They both have clear purposes. I use the, the range area to make sure that they're, they're fundamentally sound, and then we go to the golf course scenarios to help them be better decision makers on what shot will help them get the ball on the green particularly and then you know how close they might be able to get it. So to me – spend a lot more time in playing situations versus hitting. Get them right. fundamentally sound, right. and then, and I don't care whether they're a, a beginning player, average amateur, or the, or the advanced player, 
Um, I think that obviously as an instructor, we're going to spend more time being fundamentally sound with the beginner. The more advanced player, we're just going to make sure that they're that way to help them maintain their ball striking and then put them in game situations as much as we can. Right. Um, Chuck, I'm going to move on to you as well. Same, same question, but um, I, I'm going to add just to, uh, as I try to do, add just a little bit of a twist. Um, do you try to find a happy balance between the two perspectives uh, on course instruction, as, as uh, Clint just pointed out? And, and where do you decide or how do you decide um, when more of one or the other is needed? What, what is your formula that you work with? Well, it, it depends on the player. If I've got somebody that has, doesn't, you know, that's not going to practice, but they want to get better, uh, they're, they're not going to spend a lot of time on the facility and on the range. So we spend more time taking what they currently have, taking it to the golf course and giving them options. This is what your current ball flight is. This is what you're doing here. So if you play the hole this way versus how you're playing it, you know, they'll lower their strokes there. Um, I, you know, with the better players, I'm, I, I like to see them on the golf course because uh, I want to see how they're thinking, uh, what kind of shots they're playing, and I don't want to take them to a golf course they know. Uh, I, I like taking them to a golf course they don't know. It's a better decision-making process out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and you can really see their thoughts uh, because I have them talk me through it. What are you thinking about? What do you see in this hole? What kind of shot? Uh, same thing with the with the uh, elite juniors. Uh, you know, we'll take them out and we'll give them a variety of short game shots uh, on a hole, and we'll have them hit different shots from the same area, but different shots. And then we'll, we will pick the one that has the highest margin of success. Uh, you know, hitting the the, the twenty seven yard flop shot over a bunker to a front pin is not a very high success ratio shot. So, but, but they all right. want to do that, so they have to know how sure. to do it. So, so we give them other options. All right, I'll, I'll, I'll let them hit the shot they want. I'll give them two or three more options, and I'll say, okay, which one has the highest uh, probability of success, you know, and, and the most frequent time. And that's, that's kind of how I do it. Right. Well said. Um, John, I want to, again, I'm going to just mix this up just a little bit. Um, because both uh, both Clint and, and Chuck raised an interesting issue. Obviously, it depends on the player, um, but it also depends on how much practice time the individual is going to uh, put in uh, in between lessons. Correct? Well, sure. That was, you know, I, I'm trying to make practice more like play whenever I possibly can. But you know, the guys pretty much nailed it. You know, with a with a less skilled golfer, they get they might at first get more repetition. But then after that, uh, we start mixing it up to more like what they're going to have to deal with on the golf course. It's a, it's an enormous deal that that uh, you know we have to get them practicing whatever time they do have more like how they're going to play. And then Clint was talking the decision making process, and and I'll tell you what, unless you're working on some kind of mechanical swing change, if you're not going through the decision making process, you're not practicing. Right. What about things like, uh, as an example, John, um, you know, obviously you have to do an evaluation of your players uh, and your students before you're working with them. How important is that process to sort of ascertain what their level and abilities are up front? Well, yeah, so I, I do a lot of assessments with folks, and I, and I do give them a uh, a written sort of, uh, I, I call it the uh, – 
the uh, oh my goodness, I can't even think of it. Uh, what do kids do? <laughs> the report card, the essential skills report card. Right. And we go over that kind of thing, and then I, I you know, I'm going to have to have to have them prove it a little bit too with a real test. But you know, I guess it starts initially with, or what? Why are you here? And that's our our big thing is is why are you here? And, and some people will surprise you with the reason they're there. And I, you know, I, I think. If you're dealing with a really broad spectrum of folks, you're going to find that people's motivation for playing golf is quite different. You know, and so you, if you don't get into there, you know, it might be something simple where you can you can use a variety of setup adjustments to help someone just make their own uh, current swing pattern much more successful. Right. Well, most, of your are, students, most of your students, so John, come to you because they want to spend time with you. They could care less about golf. That's the truth. <laughs> I, 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 I'm all that. <laughs> <laughs> well, is, isn't that why they all come? I mean, they're, they're not looking to, to improve their golf game. They're coming because we're we're all a bunch of good guys. No, um, uh, Brian, let me add, I want to bring you in next, Brian, on this uh, conversation as well. And, and, and again, I want to throw it a little bit differently because you're in, a, in, in somewhat of a unique situation because you, you work at a, a member's uh, club and uh, your, your strategy might be a little bit different than, than maybe somebody else's. But, um, you know, obviously a lot of the, the, the members, they want to just get out there and play and so forth. So obviously you have to find a balance with them. And I know you work with, a lot with junior programs uh, as well. Um, talk about that uh, that assessment uh, side of things as well, uh, and, and as part of the evaluation uh, before getting them out on the golf course. Because I think, as as John was alluding to, I think it's important to understand um, the players' why. Why are they there in the first place? Why do they want to play? Why do they play golf? You know, there's a lot of questions that need to be answered. So walk us through the process at Montclair. You try to do to, to um, find a balancing act, if you will, between on course uh, practice and on the on the lesson team. Sure, Ted. Uh, first off, after listening to everybody uh, talk, I'm ready for the season now. That was great, guys. You, you just uh, pumped, pumped me up to get going here. But uh, Ted, you, you know, I think all the guys mentioned great points, and I think um, setting goals and and you know, finding out the why for each player is important, whether they're the amateur or a better player, you know, good players or just start, start now, you got to get their goals. Um, at Montclair, what I like to do is um, uh, I run some short game tests um, during the season. That's a good evaluation of my students. And um, from the, from the testing, I can tell what the strengths and weaknesses are. And again, it gives us a, like a roadmap of success how are we going to get better? You know, maybe bunker shots are, um, are a problem or whatever, and it gives us something to work on. And um, I think one of the other things we try to do at Montclair is to make, make it fun. Um, if, if our students are beginners, try to make the learning part fun so they come back and learn more. And then when we get on the golf course, um, try, try to make it uh, put them in situations that they can handle. So depending on the player, we might be – you know, it's just hitting shots from 50 yards, uh, just trying to get them on the green and get up and down in, in three shots from there. So um, it all depends on the player who we're working with. Um, evaluating uh, our players is a must. Every, I think every teacher does that. Um, and it gives you a roadmap to to get better, Ted. It's um, some great information out there. I love listening to you guys. Um. Let me ask you, uh, I'm going to skip a question here, and we'll get back to it, the other one in a second. 
And, and what I'm going to do is, Chuck, I'm going to start with you, but rather than going through the lineup, after Chuck uh, uh, gives his uh, thoughts on, on this particular, then I, I want you guys just to sort of jump in, um, Clint and, and, uh, and uh, John and, and uh, Brian, um, just because I, I don't want to get you know, too redundant on the question. Um, but, Chuck, student expectations, um, are they realistic in most cases? And if not, what is our responsibility as an instructor, coach, teacher, what have you, um, to ensure that they're being realistic in their decision-making? How do we help them without becoming overbearing, let's say as an example, and, or how do we help them without um, taking away their choice to, to play any way that they see fit or uh, approach the game as, as they choose? Um, we want them to succeed, obviously, on the golf course. So how do we, uh, first off, are they realistic a lot of times that we, students that you're dealing with? And if not, how do you handle it? Well, and again, that comes with the uh, the level of player that you have. Uh, the better the player, the more realistic their goals are. And the the uh, the player that doesn't have a lot of experience, um, their realistic goals. I mean, you know, I'll just tell you a quick story. I mean, I had a guy come in one day. He was, he was uh, uh, from India, and he says, "I want to play the PGA Tour in two years. Will you help me?" I said, yeah, how long have you been playing golf? He goes, well, I hadn't even started yet. And I go, well, yeah. we probably need to reevaluate your goal. Like, you know, right. that is, that's probably not a reachable goal. I said, so I said, this is, this is what it's going to take. This is what the best players in the world do day after day after day. And if you can do that and adhere to this schedule, you may not make it to tour, but you'll certainly be a decent player. So his response was, well, I can't spend that much time doing it. And I go, well, then your goal is not realistic, so let's define a new goal. So you got you got to take the player, and, and again, the better the player, the more realistic their goals are. Um, you know, uh, John's worked with several, and you guys have all worked with several high-level players, PGA Tour players, mm-hmm. and, they, and they have a goal, and it might be to be in the top 50, and they're currently whatever. 154, whatever you, whatever they are, uh, and can they reach that goal? Um, you can reach it, and thanks to thanks to uh, John Brody's deal, you know, uh, strokes gained, you can look and see where they rank with the rest of, uh, of the tour players. Their areas that they need to work on, and that's the areas you pick and choose to work with the with the more rudimentary golfer. You know, they may say, "I want to be scratch in, in, in a year," and they're a 25 handicap. Right. The way I tell them, I said, you know, if par is 72 and you're a 25 handicap, your par is 97. So when you go out there and you shoot 96, instead of telling yourself you're 24 over par, you just tell yourself I'm one under my par. Your par is 97. And that's right. how you're going to work your way down. And we develop a plan for that. So, Well said. Chuck, uh, Chuck, is, Chuck is so smart. But at my place, uh, we, we, you don't you, the the lesson doesn't begin until expectations are laid out. You know, like right. I yeah. get a, I get a lot of I, I teach ninety percent competitive um, juniors, high schools, college, and right. you know a bunch of mini, mini tour folks and that kind of crap. Everybody's got to have the expectations. For one of them, if you don't explain what are the expectations, what does learning look like? People don't even right. know what that looks like, much less, okay, so I got a new student, and he wants to make his high school team. And I said, okay, well, 
here's what the other kids that are playing high school shoot. Now, at his school, you pretty much have to shoot right around par to make the team. Nine holes, mm-hmm. which is uh, that's pretty aggressive, but that's that's just how it is. If that's going to be how it is, that's going to be how it is. And I right. tell them, you know, now my kids who are on that team and they're playing golf for the team and, you know, actually competing, they're having a ride in the bench, those kids give me 40 hours a week minimum during uh, summer golf season, and I don't have to ask them to practice. That's what's required. Then, I'll, you know, I'll help them with laying out uh, all the the type of practice is a – you know, that's pretty easy. But having the expectations met, or not met rather, but set immediately uh, goes, I find goes a long way, and the parents are in on that too. So I can mm-hmm. set the parents' expectations properly as well. Right. Yeah, you had the expectations, but then you, you get the goals from them. What is your goal? How are you going to achieve that goal? What's it going to take? You know, it's like right. John says, they want to play high school golf. Well, that's a goal. Okay, now what steps do you have to take to achieve your goal? You know, so and those have those have to be stated pretty clearly. It can't just be, well, I need to shoot 72. Well, how are you going to shoot 72? I need to right. hit my driver farther. How are you going to hit your driver farther? I mean, it all has to go. It just, it's a trickle-down effect. So. Right, Clint, and, and I want to uh, – Clint and Brian, yeah, I want let you me, guys to let me throw something. Well. Yeah, let me throw something in. These guys are all right. I mean, as far as your expectations, but one of the problems that that I see with a lot of mid-range players or, or top-line players is not their their expectations, but their perception on how good players play. Mm-hmm. They're, they're a little they're a little confused on what makes a good player. So what I do with my juniors is I make them go to the PGA Tour dot com and go to the stats area and begin mm-hmm. to do some study on how these guys actually play. Perception is so far off from reality. And they start wondering, okay, these guys are not there hitting 13 greens around. I thought they were hitting 17 or 18. They only hit 12 right. or 13 greens. They only make right. four or five birdies around, but they still shoot them. So how are they doing that? And once they get a clear understanding of that perceived way a good player plays, then they can begin to establish their expectations at their level of play. You know, I find a lot of these kids go out, hey, if they don't go out there and hit 15 greens around, they're upset. Yeah. Well, that's yep. a pretty good ball striking round if you truly understand how the best players play. So I try to make them understand what a good player does then they can set their expectations based on their level of play today with a game plan or a roadmap, whatever you want to call it, to make those expectations come closer to how a good player actually plays. So I think the expectations definitely need to be set, goals need to be set, but they need to be based in reality of what a good player actually does. And I'm sure these other guys here are doing that with them, say, here's how good players play. Now, what do you got to do right. to be like one of them? But perception to me is where I start with it. How do you think, and I ask these kids, how do you think of good player plays? What do they do? How's their round go? How many fairways are they hitting? How many greens are they hitting? How many, what's their up and down ratio when they miss a green? How many putts are they making? What do you think they're doing? And that gives me right. a clear understanding of what I got to get them to understand before I can get them to set 
a level of expectations that has some reality based to it. Yeah, mm-hmm. and that raises a, a good point, um, Clint, with that. And, and Brian, I'm going to uh, get you in here in just a second. Yeah, you know, that raises a good, good point because, um, you know, I don't think people, you know, we see on TV how the pros play uh, or what we feel they play, but that's basically been edited out. They're, you know, we're seeing for the most part all that's the good correct. shots with a, with a few bad shots yeah. mixed in once in a while just for, for some drama, if you will. But the truth of the matter is these guys aren't hitting every green. They're not making every putt. Uh, and they're not uh, their up and downs aren't aren't perfect every time either. But you know, obviously, if we saw the bad shots all the time, uh, it would make for for a boring round. So you know, they, they yeah. the media obviously wants to, to spruce it up a little bit. Um, Brian, let me ask you this, and, and and again on the same line of of discussion. Again, obviously, as many of the club members, you've got both young and old there. Some of the older ones, particularly. Um, you know, they're not looking to make a lot of changes, but they do want um, some change in their golf game. Uh, again, I'm sure there's some that are very realist, realistic in their expectations, but I'm sure there's a few that are not. Give us maybe an example of, of some of the knots with some of your well, club well, members. Ted, I, th- I think so, some of the knots, especially for, for older golfers, is, is how, how far they hit the ball. And um, when, when it comes to expectations, um, I, I think most amateurs expect to hit the ball their, their best shot all the time. Say, say it's 160 yards with a 7-iron or something. And golf's not played that way. And I think as instructors, we have to make sure our students realize that, you know, 70% of the time, it's, you're probably not going to pull it off that way and the ball's not going to go that far. So, um, I try to find out what people's expectations are and then say, okay, but can you do that 100% of the time? What, what's the ratio here? And let's work with those strengths and weaknesses and kind of dial them down a little bit with their expectations. You know, the, the other thing with most players that, that I find that I teach is their expectations are too high. And when they go out and play, they can't meet those expectations. They get really down on themselves and they spiral into a bad round. So um, I try to flip that a little bit and, and, and say, okay, you know, like, like the guys were saying, tour players only hit 12, 13 ground, uh, greens around in regulation. Where does that leave the rest of us? You know, right. we, we can't expect to hit 13, 14, 15 around, maybe once or twice a summer. Um, but back to your question about um, older players, you know, I, I think they they need to realize that maybe they don't hit the ball that far anymore and they have to work on other parts of their game to make up for that. You know, maybe working on um, having a good hybrid shot in their bag after a drive and, and getting better with their wedges around the greens because they might not be hitting the greens as much. So, again, that goes back to our first question of, you know, evaluating our students and, you know, what they're good at and what they need work at and then try to build a game plan um, around those those strong points so they can get around the golf course and shoot their best score. Right, right. Yeah, and, I, and, and I that, agree. You know, I mean, go ahead, Chuck. Go ahead, Ted. No, I, I agree. I mean, a couple of examples. Number one, uh, Seve, for his career, averaged six fairways around, yet because of his short game, you know, uh, that's what, that's how we know Seve. Uh, and right. I, don't, I don't think I've had a male student in the last 30 years, it told me that they hit it less than 300 yards. <laughs> they told me they hit it 300 <laughs> yeah. or more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 
So when you show them when you show them yeah. you're getting at two forty two two forty two, they think they think that you're wrong. Well, that can't be right. Well, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. I don't wait, know where you lost minute. another sixty yards. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a minute. Hold on a minute, Chuck. I I, I got to ask you something here. The only pictures I've ever seen with with a student is with a good looking girl on each arm. So I didn't even see any guys in the pictures. So I didn't even know you were well, teaching guys there. Yeah. Well, <laughs> he the tried girl, not the, the girl. Yeah, the girls hit at 250, so, you know. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let me – this is a question I've, I've actually asked uh, some of the panel. Clint, you may have even had this one on a, on a, a time or two before, but uh, I thought this was kind of an interesting question. Somebody sent this in a long time ago um, and, and wanted me to pitch this to the panel, so I periodically throw this in here. So I'm going to – John, I'm going to start with you. Uh, Brian, I hope you've got to take a deep breath because you're going to go after that. Clint and then Chuck okay. will, will round you on this one. Okay. All right. If you, had, if you had a student that came to you and only had five minutes for a lesson and wanted instant improvement – now, just remember, this was not my question. What would that one instant tip be based on providing a long-term solution and not a Band-Aid? So, John, the question is to you. So you've got five minutes – um, to give this person a, you know, maybe they've just come in from the airport and, and they're, you know, heading out for, for a weekend of golf and they want a quick tip. So you've got five minutes. I'll even give you 10 minutes. Uh, what are you going to do to help them that can translate maybe into a long-term solution? Um, but one tip, you've only got a few minutes to do it. What would you do? So it would, well, most likely, uh, begin with, uh, getting a functional grip to match up their club face and club path, right? That takes only a few seconds. The rest would be, a, uh, a setup adjustment so that their club delivery improved. And uh, so, you know, that's like when we do clinics. All of us guys are doing clinics at some point yep. where you can actually make a big difference to somebody um, j- just by improving their grip or their setup. No doubt. Good answer. Mm-hmm. Uh, Brian, same question to you. Five minutes, maybe ten minutes for a lesson. Uh, this man or, or woman, doesn't matter what it is uh, or who it is, uh, wants a, a quick tip, if you will, that, that's going to help them long-term on their golf game, um, what, what are you, you going to suggest? All right. First first thing is I'm going to make sure if it's a righty golfer, I'm going to make sure their left-hand grip is in a, a pretty good position, equal to the club face, maybe a little uh, turn to the right. Um, I'm going to look at their motion. I'm going to say, let me, let me see you hit one, okay, and, and make sure their weight shift is getting to the left side. So many of our students move to the right side. So I, I'd want to see a good left-hand grip, uh, good balance finish. Balance is important, getting to your left side, and then make sure their ball position, which goes back to setup, is in a good spot, typically middle of the body for an iron, a little bit forward for, for a driver. Those few things, and then I'd say – um, you know, make some swings, give me some balance. And, and balance is so important in the long term, Ted, as, as we know. Uh, mm-hmm. Give me that and get through the ball. If, if that's all I had, I'd, I'd work on those few things right there. Well said. Clint? Same thing. Well, I'm going to take you. a totally different approach. You know me, I'm going to take them to the. I'm going <laughs> <I'm gonna laughs> to take them to the short game area and teach them how to get their third shot on the green. If they can Very get good. their third shot on the green in two putt, they can shoot ninety. And if Very they good. can do that, huh? If they can do that Very, more regularly and work on their third shot, club is it might be a wedge, it might be a seven iron, whatever they're hitting their third shots with. If I can help them be fundamentally sound on getting that pitch shot on the green, 
and they can two-putt, they'll lower their score. And that's the long-term effect. If they can do that, they just got to be able to advance the ball halfway decent, and if they can get their third shot on the green, they can score better. Take. Right. Well said. Um, and last but certainly not least, uh, Mr. Chuck Evans, what would your uh, what would your five minute lesson be? Well, first thing I'm, I'm first thing I'm going to ask them is, what do you feel like the weakest part of your game is? And then whatever they tell me, that's what we're going to work on. It, whether it's their, their approach shots, their driver, their wedges, or their putting. So the first thing I got to know is what they perceive as their weakest spot, and then that's how I'm going to proceed. Very good. Um, I like all I can of those. Tell you, I, can my... tell you that, I, can, I can tell you that yesterday I had a clinic of four people. I had a guy, his big thing was he says, he says I need to gain 20 more yards. So he set up the, with a driver. The ball's in the middle of his chest. And, of course, we know what happened. He, hang, he hangs back and flips it, right? <laughs> so I yep. look at his driver. It's a nine-degree nine driver. And I said, well, mm. well, first of all, the best players on tour are using ten and a half or more. Right. I mean, mine's ten and a half. John, yours is what? Twelve, eleven and a half, twelve. Twelve and a half. I'm a big hitter. Yeah, Charlie's is eleven. Charlie Belgian. So most of the guys I know out there are playing higher lofted drivers. So I asked the guy why, why number one are you using a nine degree loft? You know, that needs to be up around eleven. And number two, why is the ball in the middle of your – and he said, well, the guy at uh, Dick's Sporting Goods told me because I flip it, I need to move the ball back in my stance. I go, <laughs> okay, well, just do me one favor. We're going to move it up up here to your left armpit, all right, because if you go up here, now you're going to have to go forward to get it, right? You can't fall back. So he hit right. one ball. He got his 20 yards, and I said, okay, you're done. Let me talk to your wife. Bring her over here. So that's all we did. I, I moved the ball. To, to accommodate what he's trying to do. Yeah, and 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 that's the thing, and and, and this is not, uh, um, you know, I don't want people to get the, the wrong, uh, you know, understanding that we're we're saying that what somebody else may have may or may not have suggested is is necessarily inherently wrong. Right. But you raise you raise a good point, Chuck. Um, there are no band aid solutions. What I personally like to do myself is obviously I want to see them hit a few shots just to see what they're doing right or wrong. And then I, I think when you've only got a limited amount of time to work with somebody, you've only got a few minutes, uh, I want to go through, as, as John pointed out, I think all of you have great answers, by the way, and, and, and if you can incorporate all of them, if you can do it in five minutes, great. But I think I want to go through the fundamentals um, with all of them. I want to see how they're setting up to the ball. Are they, you know, is, the, is the ball way back uh, you know, with their driver towards the middle? Um, where are they having, you know, it's more of a conversation for me than, than really trying to, to apply a fix because in five minutes you, you can't really do a lot. Um, so, you know, I want to see where they're having the most difficulty, but I want to see how they're setting up and addressing the ball because, and I want to see the ball flight. I want to see what's happening when they make contact with that ball. Is it all over the place? And if I get them to do, hit, you know, four or five shots, I can get a pretty good gauge within that, that range um, of their consistency. If they're all over the place with every single shot, then I know that there's something in their setup that's not right. And I'm going to go, as, as John said, is I'm going to you know, start with the grip and I'm going to go through all the different fundamentals and make sure that those are as sound as possible. Um, and then I'm going to encourage them to come back for uh, a little longer lesson than five minutes and we can work on some of the things that I may have pointed out. But uh, great answers, uh, guys. Uh, and, and there's really no right or wrong answer here. It's all uh, based on the individual player. So um, you know, each, each person's different, but you all had some great answers. Um, it, it, there's a lot of 
talk in the industry has been for some years. Um, some refer to themselves as a golf teacher, some an instructor, and some as a coach. Um, Brian, I'm going to let you start this one off here. Uh, in your estimation, what's the difference between a teacher, instructor, and a coach? And is it um, a wise investment, not from the coach's standpoint, but from the uh, student standpoint, to get into some sort of a, a coaching uh, type program, if, if they're willing to spend the time and the money and the resources, is it worth it for them to get into a coaching program? Go ahead, Brian. Well, well Ted, I, I don't know if there's much difference between all three these days. It seems like, you know, years, years ago we were teachers and instructors, and I think it's just gravitated into a coach. And it's, you know, people call me coach up at the club, and I love it. Um, so I, I'm, I don't really see much difference myself because if you're coaching mm-hmm. somebody, you, you're, you're going to have to know some instruction also, if, if, you know, but, but the thing is there's so much specialty today. You know, you might have a, a swing coach, a mental coach, a fitness coach. So, um, and, and some of us wear all those hats, um, but I think what you, what you said about the investment, you know, again, it depends on the player, what somebody's goals are and how much they want to advance in this game. But um, I think if you're going to take it seriously for, for juniors and, um, you know, players that want to get uh, play on tours and stuff, they, they need somebody in there um, to look at them a lot make sure they're on track and, and that way they don't, they don't fall into bad habits along the way. But, um, you know, I, I, it really depends on the students, um, goals and expectations like we talked about earlier, but, uh, I sure like being called coach myself. I love it. And, uh, <laughs> uh it's, it just seems like it's evolved the last three or four years. Everybody's got a coach now and, uh, so I don't mind that at all. I, I actually love hearing it. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, Clint? Well, I really think I do all three within a lesson. Mm-hmm. There, there's a certain time where you have to teach or instruct somebody on their fundamentals. You know, like the guys were talking about, getting the proper grip alignment with the club face and getting your body set and getting the ball in the right position. Those are, in my opinion, are teacher or instructional functions. But, but at some point within that lesson, I need to coach a little bit too to try to help them understand how they're going to use that better fundamental. You know, I do, you know, me, I spend a lot of my day in the short game area. So I'm doing a lot more coaching on game situations then I uh, then I do instruction because I think you can get a person fundamentally sound in in their pitching game much quicker than you can get them fundamentally sound in the full swing because obviously there's less moving parts. But so I think I end up doing a little of both in each one because mm-hmm. personally, unless I can coach that person into understanding how to use their short game better, I really haven't done my job. Uh, so right. I, I kind of feel like I do all three of them within the same lesson. Okay. Right. Well so I, said. I don't, I don't see uh, a lot. Of, I don't see a lot of difference. It's just the the timing of of what. It's the timing within a lesson what you want to call me. And right. you know, fundamentally, I'm a teacher, an instructor. But then beyond that point, towards the end of that lesson, I'm probably going to be more of a coach. Right. No, I I, I agree. Um, Chuck, what about yourself? 
um, is what the guy's saying so far pretty much online with, with your thought uh, process as well that I think we've all kind of morphed into to really all three? Yeah, I, I think so. But, you know, I think that I think that a teacher is more commonly used to reference to educating someone on something. So, you know, if you have somebody that's a beginning golfer, you are basically educating them on what the game is. And then, you know, the coach, the coach is normally an instructor because they're teaching them how to do it. Uh, I know from a, from a coaching standpoint, um, we still, we still have to go out and we still have to help our students with certain pieces of whether it's, like I said, whether it's mental, whether it's short game, whether it's full swing, you know, or whether it's course management, um, uh, with good players that they should already know all these things. I'm amazed that, that a lot of them don't, but, but they, but they don't really know how to manage themselves on the golf course. So at that point, I think we're trying to coach them up. Um, it'd be the difference between taking your, taking your uh, number six guy on the high school team and coaching him up to be the number three player. Well, how does he get there? Well, you teach him and instruct him on the things that are going to make him better. That's just kind of how I look at it. Right. No, I I agree. Um, And and John, uh, along the same lines, uh, depending on where you are at the lesson or or the player that you're working with, uh, which hat you're going to be wearing that particular day or that moment in the lesson, uh, would you agree with that? And and is is investing in a coaching program for somebody that really wants to be serious about their game, uh, is it something that you try to encourage uh, some of the the more serious-minded players? Well, there's a reason why the tour players make uh, take more golf lessons than anybody, right? Mm-hmm. They understand the value, and they understand the idea that they they can't always tell what they're doing. So I think it's it's uh, you, you can't live without it. I, I don't think I I don't think you can get where you want to go at the game unless you are, you know, lucky or supremely gifted without having someone help you, even when you get off in your game, to get you right. back on, to know where you were. Hey, look at that. I mean, I've seen it happen with my own players. Um, when did you do that new thing to your golf swing? Right. And right. so uh, I've seen that enough. And that, and we can nip that on the butt if we're seeing our coach more regularly. Uh, the other the other thing is, uh, so I, I guess teacher gets branded as fixes swings. I, and I guess that's mm. the, that's the uh, argument we have for coaching versus teaching. Um, right. I consider myself a coach. Uh, people call me coach as well, Clint, um, which I love. And the coach, in and in, in the way I look at it, your coach will teach. He'll talk about and help work through problem solving on the fly, coaching how to deal with so the mental game of golf. Mm-hmm. He'll mentor his his people. And the, you know the list, you know the list goes on of all the things right. that a coach does. But I, I would say that people who are known as teachers probably have to delve into all those uh, different right. uh, hacks, if you will. Right. Um, and again, well said. I, I think the other thing too, guys, is is this. Um, I think fundamentally, regardless of what level of student you're working with is ultimately what we want to do is to be able to bring out their best game. I think one of the common things I'm sure we've all seen at some point uh, or many times throughout uh, our careers is a player will come to you and want to mimic somebody else they've seen on tour or 
Um, maybe uh, it might even be, Brian, in your case, maybe the, the, the club champion who wins every year. People say, well, I want to play more like him. But the truth of the matter is we're all different and unique individuals, so we have to play to our strengths and our weaknesses. And I think sure. that if somebody's coming to you and saying, well, I want to play like Tiger or I want to play uh, you know, like, like somebody else, um, there are certain elements that you might be able to draw on that, but you, you can't – in other words, you can't buy Tiger Woods swing or you can't buy um, Seve Ballesteros short game. I mean, you can certainly improve those areas, but you're not going to be that, those individuals. And I think this sometimes is um, – you know, when we see some of the equipment out there and, and all of the um, <clears throat> the sort of ideology, if you will, that, well, if you buy this or if you do this, you're going to, you know, improve by such and such. And, and there is a certain element of truth to that. But it's only true if the individual is going to bring their undivided attention to the lesson and they're willing to put in the, 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 the blood, sweat and tears, if you will, of hard work in order to accomplish that. And I think that this is something that a good coach uh, as well as teacher – can help instill in, into their students. I got a final question for you guys I thought was, was kind of interesting, and I'm just going to put one little caveat uh, to it. Uh, if uh, And, and uh, Clint, we're going to go back to the beginning of the, of the bus uh, and start mm-hmm. with you. Uh, and this is more for the players after, or for the uh, guys after you. If you pick the same one as Clint, then you're going to have to pick a, a, another one as well so, so that you're not <laughs> the same one. So, um, so here, here's the question. If your student had to master one club in the bag, what would it be and why? They have to master well, one simple. club. I'm going to master the putter because it's half the game. Okay. I want to – I can – we all know this. You can make up for a lot of mistakes with one putt. Right. Okay. So if I'm taking one club, if I'm going to want to be the best with one club, I want to be the best with the putter. Um, plain and simple. I mean – I can advance the ball, advance it, depending on what my scores are. If I'm a good putter, my scores are going to be better than I'm, than I'm hitting. Right. So that's a simple one there. I'm going to pick the putter, and that's the if one you I want to be the best with. All right. If you, if you had another club in the bag, though, besides the putter, what would be your yeah. next choice? Seven iron. Okay. I want, to be able, um, I want to be able to move the ball down the fairway to get it around the green. Right. Uh, you know, I can – you know, you, we all could take one of our players and give them a five iron, seven iron, a wedge, and a putter, and they most likely could score just as well or better if they just advance the ball, advance the ball, put it on the green and putt. Yeah. But that's not I, what we I, play for. We want to blast that driver down there. <laughs> so there's a big difference between <laughs> playing and hitting. Okay. Right. So I'm more into – I want them to learn how to play, and so therefore – Get them down range, get them down range, pitch and putt. Right. That's my I, I agree wholeheartedly. No, good yeah. answer. Um, I, I look at it this way. There's, there's two things that I look at. Uh, hitting is for the driving range and playing is for the golf course. Um, Correct. Chuck, what would be uh, your club? Well, uh, driver wedge and putter make up almost 78% of all shots. Yeah. So I would go with wedge. Uh, uh, simply because uh, you can hit it just about everywhere, uh, i.e. Seve, again, for an example. Mm-hmm. And if right. you if you are a g- good wedge player, you're going to get it close enough that you probably can't miss the putt. So <laughs> yeah. I, I, I would go with that. Yes. 
Interesting, interesting answer. I like that, um, John. Well, I uh, I have to agree with the man, Chuck. I have a, a saying uh, that uh, a challenge I, I give to all my folks. Okay, I want 18 straight. They go, what? 18 straight greedy regulations? I go, no. I want 18 straight par putts. Meaning, I don't care where you hit the damn drive. Get it back in play. Get a wedge on the green. And give me 18 on a, on a par four. So give me 18 straight par putts. You'll play better golf than you ever played in your life. For the normal person, I've even got that goes all the way down. The lowest is uh, I think he's now down. He had his handicap last year, and uh, he's down to like a six now. And that's his big goal when he goes and plays. It's really cool. But I'm trying to get all my folks to agree with that. But since Chuck already took that, and I couldn't take somebody else. I would say driver. Ah, <laughs> oh, there you go. So and, uh, I would and, say driver because you know what I think, uh, and I think for your uh, the driver is without question the sexiest club in the bag. Oh, and well, if sure. People can hit the dri- Yeah, if they can hit the driver better, and I actually tell people, wait a minute, the driver is the easiest club in the bag. You get the same lie every time. You never have to deal with it above your feet. Well, at most golf courses. You know, nothing changes. You can have a driver swing. You know, but with your approach shots, you have to be able to hit a little fade in this condition or a little draw, a little low ball flight. But with your driver, you can actually just hit a stock drive. So it really should be the easiest club. And that gives us, you know, one, it feels better. It's much more fun to hit the ball in play. But uh, that that gives them a uh, a large leg up on doing what uh, what I think it was Clint was just saying it just get the take the approach shot and dance the damn thing down near the green and uh, you know then what Chuck said just use our our wedge and butter uh, there's there's all four right there and we have one hell of a golf game that's right um, Brian. Ted, this wasn't the question I wanted to go last on, but uh, I'll take the challenge here. <laughs> you, know, you know, you guys just covered the driver, wedge, and putter. And, and, Ted, as we all know, those three clubs are priceless. You know, try try to master all those three. Spend as much time as you can on all of them, and you'll, you'll be able to play this game. Um, there's an old saying, though, along the lines that I like to to use is he who rules the short game rules the game. And um, I'm going to pick another club, but, but, you know, everybody talks about that wedge and the the sand wedge that they're priceless clubs to learn how to use. And unfortunately it's not flashy. It's not sexy. Like um, uh, I heard before, Uh, we all want to hit that driver, but if I got to pick a club that's different than the other ones, I'm going to pick the hybrid and and I'll tell you why I think, you know, in this, this, uh, the game improvement clubs that we have today to me, in my mind, um, as good as the driver has gotten, it's got a lot to do with the golf ball also, but I think the most game improvement club there is, is the hybrid where, you can you can take a club to replace a two iron, three iron, and four iron, and you can carry something one eighty to two ten or whatever it may be, nice and high, and it feels like a seven or eight iron. That that is a club I would master um, because it's technology for that one club. The hybrid has come such a long way um, right. compared to what we used to have to hit. 
you know, and, and we all know what it was like to swing a two and a three iron and a four iron. And um, so I, I would, I would pick the hybrid if that was, since I'm, le- I'm the last one to answer this question, um, master that hybrid. It's a fun club to hit. And uh, if you can, if you can master that, you can get around any golf course. For sure. Um, certainly la- last but not least. And, and I see that unfortunately he's at the end of the, end of the, the segment, but uh, Tom, uh, welcome to the show. I see you finally made it, and uh, I'm not sure if it was my fault with the time or not, but um, I, I don't know how much of the conversation you picked up, but I'm going to give you uh, the same question, Tom, as I gave the others, is if you had a student that had, uh, and you gave them one club in the bag that you wanted them to master, what would that be? Well, I apologize. I think it's at 5.50 uh, Central Time, so I apologize. Um, yeah. One club to master. You know, uh, I think for me, I would say, you know, master. Gosh, I've heard the rest of my. You know, master your fairway woods. You know, that way you've got a chance to at least get it off the tee if your driver's going sideways, or you can, or you have a chance to hit a, you know, something down the fairway a little bit. You know, a lot of people just cannot hit these and they end up playing around. So if they play around them, you know, they're pretty much wasting wasting their time. So I would say master some of your fairway woods. Right. Well said, um, guys. I don't know if you remember this, but this was. Many moons ago, it was, uh, I think, when the Golf Channel sort of first came out. Uh, and there was a gentleman, and I may have the name wrong. I think it was, uh, was it Wally Armstrong? Is that name right? He had a lot of, yeah, a lot of, lot of training aids, ex-tour player. Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. right. Well, he had, he shot, uh, there was a young lady with him. I don't remember who it was. Um, but anyways, there was a video that they had, uh, or a segment on the Golf Channel when it, probably one of the first years it aired. And it really alluded to this. And he, he went around and he played three holes, a par five, a four, and a three. And the only thing he took with him, he carried with him, was a seven iron, a wedge, and a putter. And he shot one under for three holes. And what was interesting mm-hmm. was he basically proved what all of you have said is that, you know, you don't have to bomb at 300 yards down the middle of the fairway. I mean, that's great if you can. But as long as you can hit it straight, even if it's only 150 yards, which I'm, I think was about that time when he was hitting the seven iron, um, and, and just hit that a couple of times and get on the green. And if you don't get on the green, a good wedge shot in for a putt, you can par just about any, uh, any hole. And I, I realize that was a number of years ago, and some of the holes are longer now. But um, I think that goes true to what we were talking about here, is, is that you don't have to, uh, as sexy as the driver is, you don't have to bomb at a mile. Um, you know, you can use a hybrid, as Brian talked about. Uh, your fairway wood, as Tom just mentioned, and certainly you want to master the, the wedges, I think, and, and uh, Clint, as you pointed out, the putter. Putter represents half your game right there. So, um, you know, it really it goes to, I think, what's important to you as a player, where your weak areas are focusing on, uh, and obviously the short game, I think, is where most of them need to focus on. Um, Tom, I'm going to give it, if you guys are willing to hang around for just a few extra moments, I'm going to let Tom sure. uh, talk here. Sure. And Tom, what I'm going to do is, is I'm going to have you come back again on another panel discussion when sure. we have more time. I, unfortunately, I've got a guest coming here in a little bit, but we've got a few minutes left. And then I'm going to give you all a chance uh, to let the folks know how they can get reach out to you if they want. Um, let's talk about the shot. You know what, uh, you know what Ted? Let's, let's just let Tom talk since he uh, didn't get any of it. Uh, I know okay. he likes to talk anyway, so let's just let him handle it from here on. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Tom, this question's for you. Uh, we talked to uh, the guys were just talking about, and you jumped, jumped in here uh, about the club, what club uh, you'd want to master. But 
but I think everybody, Nicholas had one, and, and most of the tour players have that sort of stock shot that they can count on. Uh, if you're working with a player, um, it, it, is there a shot that you want to help them, again, not master because we're not mastering any shots here, but that you want to uh, help them achieve so that when they get into a, a stressful situation, they can go into that shot and, and you know, in their mental Rolodex, if you will, and, and, and count on that shot to, to navigate their way around the course. Is there a shot that you like to help your students with? And, and if not, what are some other options that you, you uh, do to help them navigate around the course? Well, I think most of all, um, you've, you've got to find a shot that you're comfortable with uh, in general. Um, you know, whether it's a big fade, a big hook, a high shot, low shot, what have you. Um, everybody has their go-to shot, um, and it's something that you can rely on. And, and you know, for, for me, I teach most of my students to try to keep the ball low, take a call back and kind of hit little punch shots around the golf course. Um, I call it kind of a safety squeeze. Um, you know, pins in the back of the green, winds into your face, uh, tight fairway, water right and left, all those kind of things. Um, that safety squeeze is nice to be able to just move that ball out into the fairway, out into the center of the green and just away from the trouble. Um, so for me, you know, I would have to say a low shot if you put it in, in a generality. Um, but as you start to move on, what you have to figure out as a player is what works best for you. Uh, and some play, players like to hit a big hook, big fade, big high shot, low shot, what have you. But you, like you said, you have to have a go-to shot or you're not going to be very successful playing the game. Yeah, and I think most of the players, uh, and Tom, I think you would agree, most of the, the tour players – uh, have that shot, whatever it might be, as you said, high, low, fade, uh, hook, what have you. They have that go-to shot when they get in a situation um, that maybe they're not comfortable with. Um, maybe the, the hole doesn't necessarily fit their eye. They have a go-to shot that they can know they can count on to get that ball in play, correct? Correct. There, there's no question. Because if you don't, I mean, you, you just stand on the tee, and you can't stand on the tee with a – oh, my God, I hope this thing goes straight. Uh, you've got to have some sort of program uh, and some sort of confidence that you can go ahead and make a, a good golf swing, a good, solid golf swing. Um, if you don't, uh, you're not going to be playing golf for a living very long. Yeah, I, I agree. Um, guys, I want to thank you very much for, for coming on the, uh, the panel tonight. And, and Tom, uh, I regret that you weren't able to join us a little bit earlier, but as I said, I'm going to uh, make a point. Maybe Chuck and John, uh, if you three want to, uh, I think I've got some openings uh, throughout the year. We can take a look at a date. I know the three of you wanted to come on together here. Um, maybe we can look at a date to get the three of on, uh, on a separate Coach's Corner panel. Uh, you guys up for that? Sure, yeah. always. Always. Yeah, you might okay. you might want to start a day ahead of time, so make sure it's sticking and gets there. So. <laughs> Hey, we'll don't, hey, I, know doc- I know you, Doctor. Yeah, I know you, Doctor. I know you changed the hour. <laughs> All, right. All right, guys. Well, I apologize. Well, listen, Y'all I, have I some fun. Yeah, not, not a problem, Tom. It, it, listen, it, it happens. Not a big deal. But we're, we're just uh, having some fun here. Um, all right, I'm going to go down the list here. Uh, Brian, if you want to give you each an oppor- a quick opportunity here to, to let the folks know if they're interested in reaching out to you, uh, maybe working with you if they're going to be in your area or, or uh, websites and that sort of thing. So, uh, Brian, I'm going to go with you first. Sure, Ted. Um, first off, I just want to thank all the other guests. I, I learned so much just being on this uh, show, Ted. It, it's awesome. And uh, I'm up here in New Jersey, Montclair Golf Clubs in West Orange, New Jersey. Um, we're a few weeks away from uh, spring here. The snow's melting. And uh, if anybody wants to reach out to me, I can be reached at Brian Dobby PGA at yahoo.com or give me a call on my cell, 908. 
531-3637. And uh, if you're in the area, give us a call. Love to see you. Thank you, Ted. You're you're welcome as always, Brian. And uh, I'm looking forward to you moving south here one of these days soon uh, so you can play all year round. But uh, I know you're enjoying up at Montclair. I know it's a great facility up there. So uh, take it in while you can. But uh, think of us down here in the south uh, maybe for future plans. But uh, always a pleasure, Brian, having you on the show. It's, it's an honor. Um, my good Thanks friend, again, Clint. Ted. You're yeah, no problem. Uh, Clint? Yeah, Ted, again, I, I appreciate being on with everybody as, as with Brian. But um, they can get in touch with me with Clint Goff, 001 at yahoo.com. And uh, we're here in South Carolina. The weather's perfect. I mean, you know, everything's warm, and we're playing golf every day, man. So just remember that, Brian. You're always welcome to come to South Carolina. Clint, um, I'm actually coming down there on Monday, so I'm looking well, forward to that 75-degree weather. Well, it was 83 here yesterday, so. I'll bring my sunscreen. <laughs> there you go. But, again, everybody always just remembers about the third shot. That's the one that counts. So if you can get that third shot That's going, you'll be fine. So thanks again, Ted. You're you're welcome, Clint. Always a pleasure to have you on. Uh, John. Yes, sir. Well, thanks John, for having us all on here. And, guys, very nice to be on here with you. Uh, you can reach me at johndunnigan.com. Dunnigan is D-U-N-I-G-A-N. And uh, I'm in... In Pennsylvania, just outside Philly, at lovely White Manor Country Club. And I'd, uh, I'd love to help you if you're interested in uh, getting better. I only take Perfect. competitive students, though. Morning. Perfect. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, Chuck, go ahead. Uh, you're next. Yeah, I'm in 55-degree uh, Phoenix, Arizona today with two layers <laughs> on all day on the tee. Uh, but they can reach me through chuckevansgolf.com, email, phone number, everything up there. I enjoy being on with all you guys, and I look forward to uh, coming back on with uh, J.D. and Stickney here. Just said, what in the hell is that, Tom? Is that your phone? No, no I, um, nobody calls me here in Mexico. <laughs> I think he's yeah. trying to, I think he's trying to and, condense, your, and, condense your answer. <laughs> yeah, and, and, no, and nobody is, comes. is tan and beautiful. And nobody comes to see you. It's too no. hot. No, no, no. Vedanta, Vedanta's a great place down there. It's uh, really great. All right. Uh, and Tom, go ahead. Yeah, if you want to reach me, you can reach me at uh, TomStickneyGolf.com. Uh, that's the easiest way to do it. Or on Twitter at, at TomStickneyGolf. And uh, as I said, I'm sorry I missed the time, but uh, we'll look forward to talking to you guys another time. Not a problem. Uh, again, guys, thank you very much. As always, I appreciate you giving of your time uh, here in the Coach's Corner panel on uh, Golf Talk Live. It's a pleasure. Uh, I feel much like Ron. I always uh, feel I learned something here uh, that I can apply in my own teaching and, and so forth. But uh, it's just a, a, a real pleasure having a, a group of experts like yourself on the show, and, and it, it brings uh, some great value to the program. And I know that the, the, uh, the listeners enjoy it as well. So, guys, uh, God bless. Thank you very much for, for coming on the show tonight, and I look forward to having you back. And, and uh, Chuck, John, and, and uh, Tom, Clint, and Brian, I know you're going to be back uh, as well, but uh, I'm going to get you guys, uh, three of you, on a separate show uh, on a coach's corner and uh, give, give Tom a uh, chance to redeem, him, redeem himself, all right? <laughs> all right. Yeah. Sounds good. So, yeah. All right. Thanks, Thank guys. Thank you very all much. Right. Thank Thanks, you, guys. Right, take care. See you, guys. Yeah. Take right. care, guys. Bye, guys. Bye. Later. Bye, guys. Bye. All right, that was the uh, Coach's Corner panel. Uh, Brian Dobby, 
uh, Clint Wright, Chuck Evans, John Dunnigan, and uh, rounding out the panel, of course, uh, Tom Stickney. Um, but uh, moving on, I've got a very special guest tonight. Been looking forward to having him on the show. And I'm going to tell you uh, just a little bit uh, about him uh, here in just a minute. But uh, first, let me just remind everybody that we are uh, live every Thursday evening from 6 to 8 p.m. Central, unless uh, otherwise uh, uh, indicated. And the best way to find us is go to blogtalkradio.com and type in uh, Golf Talk Live, and that will take you to the main page. And during the live broadcast, of course, uh, the uh, show is front and center there on the page. Uh, but for some reason, if you can't join us and you want to, uh, maybe listen when it's uh, a little bit more convenient for you. You can just scroll down the page at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live and visit the on demand uh, section of the page. And that's where all of the previously aired shows are auto recorded and you can listen to them when it's convenient for you. And uh, don't forget to follow me on social media. You can find me on uh, Facebook, uh, my personal page or the uh, uh, golf talk live blog page is on facebook.com. You can just go there, type in golf talk live blog, or you can follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO, CEO, of course, in capital letters. And thank you for all of the recent uh, followers uh, on Twitter. And um, I update, of course, the show every week on, on all of those different – and LinkedIn as well. Sorry, I keep forgetting to throw LinkedIn there as well. As I said, my, my special guest earlier in the show I, I mentioned was going to be Stephen Hopkins. He's the president of UFO Tour Golf. Been looking forward to having him on here. And let me just read a little bit about um, Stephen, and then uh, I'll bring him on to, to join me here for uh, some great uh, discussion about uh, UFO Tour Golf. Uh, Stephen and his father, partner, and project coordinators uh, were, are or were either former or current PGA uh, members uh, they're based in Seattle, but uh, have their main base in Hong Kong, where uh, his partner oversees uh, their two factories. Uh, they've been uh, a sourcing agent to the PGA Tours players and corporate sponsors for nine years, along with uh, apparel and uh, their uh, PRG accessories. Uh, they have a unique ability to build um, as little as one single bag, uh, golf bag, or thousands of bags. So they've got quite a facility uh, over there in Hong Kong. He's going to talk about that uh, when it comes on. And uh, being a designer himself for the past 30 years, he's brought uh, their business public six years ago to give them uh, the same product that they produce for the tours worldwide. So they wanted to expand, of course, their business. Um, that being said, as he mentioned, uh, the core of their business uh, is, is brand and corporate sponsor based. Uh, they're also proud to be featured by the uh, 2016 ESPN Holiday Gift Guide. Uh, James uh, Achenbach, uh, senior uh, writer for Golf Week at the uh, 2015 United States Open and provider for the 2016 uh, Rio Olympics. Uh, their mission at UFO Tour Golf is to give uh, you, the uh, consumer, uh, an unparalleled visual uh, uh, promotion by using uh, only the finest golf products in the world. And just as with uh, their friends that they have made over the years, they believe in building relationships and they look forward to building their next relationship with you. So uh, without further ado, let me bring on my very special guest, uh, Stephen Hopkins. Good Hi, evening, Ted, Stephen. How are you doing? We I'm doing very meet. well. Yeah, we finally, <laughs> yeah, we finally meet. Um, <laughs> thank you very much for, for coming on the show. I appreciate it. And I uh, hope I, I got everything right there. Uh, we got lots to talk about, so let's just jump right in. And, and uh, the obvious question, I think, to, to start things off is, um, why did you name the company UFO? How did you come up with that name? Well, you know, it's it's funny. We've one of the one of the neat things that's happened over the years is I, I know when I played my my college golf, my and and, and, and attempted to be a player. <laughs> back in the 80s when this all happened it was still pretty much a country club sport and 
right. what, what's kind of occurred over the years is we're, we're seeing a, a push towards customization and people want to mm-hmm. have unique, they want to have style. Um, it's funny because they may shoot 110, but the reality is that they want to, they want to look good and have fun and smoke their cigars or do whatever they're doing to, to have fun with the game. And, and, and that's really what's kind of occurred over the last, you know, six years or so we've seen that, that transition and also, I think with the uh, with with the upcomings of social media and the change mm-hmm. that it's having on the on the golf industry landscape, um, people are able to get more visual. They're able to see more things happening, and, and I don't think people really realize how many how many wonderful small um, golf companies are out there doing fantastic work. And what social media does is really gets their names out there, besides the major brands. And uh, we're obviously happy and thrilled to support all of them, but it's, it's, it's really a neat thing. So where UFO comes from, and maybe I'm crazy, I don't know, but <laughs> when, I, when I looked at what used to be done was if people, we'll use golf bags as the example, if people wanted to take their logos from their companies and they wanted to uh, brand a golf bag, in the old days we used to call it spotting up. So they go to Titleist, to go to TaylorMade, or whoever the builder was at the time, or whoever they wanted to go on to, they would let you spot up on their brand builds. And then, basically, you were going to be alongside their branding. Um, what we've tried to do, UFO just means that we're kind of unique to where we don't put our logos on anything we build, so we're unidentified. On the, on, when, we, when we build a golf bag for somebody, whether it's a Gary player or whether it's John right. Doe off the street, the whole bag itself is about – it's a, it's a template – for that person to have something special. It's not about us. What speaks for us is the quality and the look. And being a designer for 30 years, there's a certain look. I put my, you're going to call me crazy. We, we produce about, oh gosh, our factories produce anywhere from eight to 12,000 bags a month. And wow. doing that, the things that I'm involved with and my partners, involved, anything that I have, I, I want my stamp on because there's a certain look we're after. And so, and, and my wife says I'm crazy, and one day I'm going to have to stop doing this. <laughs> but for now, I'm putting my stamp on it, doggone it. So anyway, but it, it, that's where it comes from. And the other thing that, that on the marketing side with uh, Google these days, you got to be Google, your Google Analytics got to be good, as you know. And so yep. UFO is a very popular search word. And so you take all, all people had to do were to remember us was to take UFO and put it with golf, and it was an easy find. And so the good news was within about six months, probably less than that of being being on Google, we were actually on the front page of Google within, I mean, it was literally a matter of months, which was great. So it's been a Hmm. win-win situation for us, and uh, but that's where it comes from. So in other words, we don't identify ourselves on, on the on the things we build. And, and I like that because, you know, and, and, and again, there, there, you know, there's nothing wrong. I, I mean, Titleist and Callaway and all the, the, the big players out there, obviously it's part of their branding process, and I understand that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. but at, the, at the same time, I appreciate the approach that, that you guys have taken because it gives, especially if somebody wants to, um, you know, have their own branding, uh, whether it be corporate or otherwise, uh, or an individual, and, and you mentioned Gary Player, and we'll talk about him in here in just a second. You can explain to the to the listeners uh, how that came about. But um, you know, they want to have their own branding. Uh, you know, he's he's uh, obviously referred to as the Black Knight, and and uh, may want his logo and, and emblem on there, and, and of course his name. And and if he's got to squeeze it in there somewhere, because uh, you know a major brand name is going across there, 
you know, that that's not helping him any. So um, I, I appreciate what you do. And, and it's interesting because, you know, Gary is such a great ambassador of the game and what a, what a feather in your cap to, to have put, uh, put something together for him. So why don't you tell the folks first of how that relationship sort of developed and then what you, what you put together for Gary. Well, actually, um, Bo Wood and Debbie Longnecker came to me originally a couple of years ago and, and came and asked about doing bags for Gary for the Masters. And, um, and obviously, it's a tremendous honor. We, we do build for some special people in this wonderful business, and, and obviously he is one of the greatest and the greatest legends we've ever had in the game. I know my father right. just, just uh, worshipped Gary Player, and, and also Gary Player brought, uh, brought health and fitness to the game, which is so important. Um, mm-hmm. But he's such a neat, neat man. And where, where we were really excited, quite honestly, when they came to us was when we delivered the bag um, and got it there for the for the Masters, and Gary Gary actually responded through Bo Wood, and Bo Wood um, they came back to us and told us that it was Gary said it was the finest bag he'd ever owned, and when that when that hmm. came out that that was one of the most feel good things I think I've had in my entire lifetime. <laughs> wow. So, but. But you know these are these are special things for special people, and and you want to you want to do the right thing, and it's, so it's always with the tour in general. You know, the, as you know, it's it's with golf mm. bags. Golf bags take a beating on the PGA tours and the LPGA oh, yeah. tours and so forth. And so your your challenge, quite honestly, Ted, when you're building tour bags, is you just have to reinforce them, and you have to make sure all the hardware is intact. I mean, early in the game, we had you know you had you'll have a few breaks of straps because the bags are down are loaded so much, so we had to learn with hardware and how to swap that out and get stronger hardware in there and. But they take their punishment. So you know, a John Daly, we had John, John, John could, John, you know, when we were doing do loudmouth bags, my partner was doing that with him. Um, that you know, those were four to six bags a year they were producing. <laughs> so Lord. You, you never know. Most 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 tour players, I would I would say, usually go through a couple a year. Um, right. Just and, and it's really more instead of the instead of really the wear on the bag, it's mostly it's mostly the external wear. Because in right. the branding of the uh, corporate, they want it to look crisp all the time. But you you can't help. You're going to have some oxidation, and you're going to have some some beat up effect. And and quite honestly, air decompression and compression from air, from airplanes take their toll too. So there's mm-hmm. just a lot of little things that we try to share with uh, with people to help them care for these wonderful things too. But they are truly pieces of art. And when you see them in person, you you realize really what goes into them. But right. anyway, when go I, right ahead. Yeah, when I, uh, when I actually um, posted up the show, I, uh, one of the reasons, normally what I do um, when I have a special guest on is I'll put their uh, photo as uh, sort of the, the launch for the program. And uh, so don't take this personally, but I actually put the photo of the three golf bags. We'll talk about that in a second. But um, up there I want because, you to know because I'm highly offended. Yeah. <laughs> well, yours is <laughs> – your your photo's second. Your photo's second. So it, it, but, uh, but anyways, um, the reason why I wanted to do that is, is obviously I, I know most of the people that are going to see it are, are familiar with your organization anyways but uh, and see yeah. plenty uh, through social media. But um, it, they were just such beautiful golf bags that I, I couldn't resist. And I thought I want that to be uh, sort of the emblem, if you will, for, for tonight's show. So I threw that up there first. And, um, of course, the one that you sent me for Gary Player and, and a few others in there as well. But, um, you know, they are they are literally uh, – I mean, I've seen a lot of golf bags uh, put out 
by a lot of different folks, uh, including some of the major players out there. And uh, yours, uh, you know, yours ranks way up there uh, on on the top of the list. Let me tell you, um, they're they're well, beautiful golf. That's, that's really um, kind of you. Yeah, they are. Then they are generally they're they're literally works of art. Uh, some very interesting styles and and very interesting. Um, images and things like that that you've used over over the years with your various clients and corporate and otherwise and it's just really is a testament to to the people working for you as well um we obviously Thank mentioned you. can i tell you one can i tell your folks one thing sure. about that sure you can yeah um, you know this this will help people understand because sometimes when they see these bags it's it's obviously not an inexpensive uh um, production when you put these together and, and, and it probably helps the people understand how, how these come to be. When you, when we build b- bags in the factories, basically what you've got is you've got what are called sample rooms. There are two sample rooms and we'll sample room on each of the two factories that we oversee. And, and the sample rooms are where they build one to five bags. And for example, if a major brand comes and wants to have bags built, the, the tradition has been that they'll get a sample bag will be put together to be proofed. And that proof, sure. once we get the go-ahead, and then we're going to move ahead with, with a major production. Well, that's kind of where these – we call them sample bags. That's where these single bags that you see online come from. When I came to work with, with James, my partner, um, and being a designer myself, I had a lot of – when you're a designer, you can't help yourself, Ted. You, you, you want to do yeah. things <laughs> nobody else does. It, sure. and, and, and let's put it this way. Your factory owners may not always agree with that. <laughs> Right, right. <laughs> they, may, they may not love you in the beginning, but one of the things, give you an example of this, um, you know, so when, when I first started to break things down and, and, and bring out some new concepts, one of the things that we're really well known for is, is running imagery, cropped imagery through panels. So running it through a lower panel into an upper panel, and that means you have to custom align it. You have, I mean, your, your people need to be adept at being able to handle that. And I can tell you that almost every factory that I know will not touch this just because right. of how much is involved in having to try to match those kind of things up. And then you take into account in some of the building methods, obviously people know about embroidery, but we, we also do what's called custom applique. It's hand-cut and sewn piecing of fabrics to form images, just like you saw in those bullseye sports bags you showed. Those are all right. pieces that have been sewn into the panel shapes. So wow. when you put together these sample bags or single bags, there is an enormous expense. And quite honestly, it's the reason that factory owners don't want to touch them and don't want to have to mass produce them is because there's so much time and energy involved for such a small margin. And, and that's really, that's where really when people see these and they go, Oh my gosh, you know, it's a five or $600 bag. Well, it is a five or $600 bag because it's not where a titleist has come to us or a tailor made or somebody has come and purchased a thousand bags at a time and then sold them to retail. This is where somebody is specifically making a single bag for you and then they got to ship it overseas to get it back. And so you have all these things involved, but, you know, it's interesting. It is probably the most gratifying job in regards to customer appreciation because i got to tell you, when people get the product, and I just got Bo Wood, I just got uh, Mr. Player's uh, master's bag to him two days ago, and they got it, and they always call immediately and let us know that it's arrived and and they, and it's and they always tell me it's just like it's a Christmas as a kid. You remember? I don't know how old you. are. I'm 51. Yeah. So you're 53. How old are you now? 
All right, so we're in the same genre. So you're going to remember this. You remember AFX racetracks? Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do. In, in, AFX slot car tracks were the big deal when I was a kid. And when you got up yeah. in the morning on Christmas morning and you got the AFX racetrack, it was a feeling you had. And it's the same feeling, I can tell you, that people get with. And so there's really nothing quite like it. And so people ask me, or they say, why do you build single bags if it's such so much work and there's so much labor and this and that? And between you and I, it only makes up about 10% of our entire business model. Most of the builds we're going to do are large scale, and, and they're, they're, they're going to be multiple bag projects. But for this, right. this is the reason. I used to, I mean, when I came out of college and I worked for Boeing, uh, most large companies have very strict branding standards. And from a design standpoint, they're going to be very strict in what they're going to allow to go on their golf bags or anything else. The reason that I wanted to bring single bags in is because it allows people to get extremely creative. And by them mm-hmm. doing that, especially in this today's age of tech companies and more progression happening with branding, it allows us to show that, which brings us more business from that direction. So sure. I get more gratification, I think, between you and I, Ted, than probably I do out of, from single bags than I do out of uh, large-scale builds. Well, it, ge- it gives you all- also an option, to, like you said, to, to allow uh, somebody else's creativity to come into it. And, uh, and again, it, it appeals to a different market. I think if you know, one, of the, one of the, I guess, criticisms that I would have with, with some of the traditional equipment and, and accessories that you see out there – uh, and, and especially for the guys, for the ladies, it's different. I mean, the, the, you know, you go in to look at the apparel side of things. We'll talk about that in a minute. But, um, yeah. you know, in a lot of cases, it's very boring for the men's apparel. It's all the same thing. You know, one year it's stripes, the next year it's solids. And, you know, now they're starting to get a little bit more creative and a little more colorful. But for years, you know, I, yeah. I, I could basically take the same golf shirt and just put a, a new tag on it because it was the same one that they sold last year. And, you know, with a lot of the, the store and, and it's true. I mean, now there, there's a lot of great yeah. uh, entrepreneurs that have come out there that have that have come out with uh, some different uh, materials and some different styles and things like that. Um, yeah. And and especially for somebody in our age group, we're in that age group now that it, it get it. Believe me, it gets worse. The, the styles and, the, and, the, and that <laughs> because uh, listen, <laughs> Just go to any any of your major stores and you'll see what I'm talking about. But anyways, uh, all, oh, all kidding aside, but so it, it it's you know it, it's great and refreshing that that that's you've done. Um, let's talk about apparel. Uh, you've got some interesting sure. news here. Um, you you've uh, created a partnership with uh, uh, Phoenix XL uh, that you're going to be launching here right. in April. Uh, they're the official uh, apparel provider to the Asian Tour. That is correct. And uh, Michael Moore. It's funny because we're all friends. All all of our business, we have four business partners together. We're all friends. We all work together. Uh, People of great integrity believe in running running businesses the way with you know a family owned philosophy, and which I believe in. I've always said with our company that we will only grow as fast as we can take care of people the right way. It's it's an important thing to me. I was in a uh, I was with another family company for many years and uh, saw a conglomerate buy it out and ran it into the ground. And not to say I'll do that that way, but it's really important right. to me that we uh, take care of people the right way. The apparel partnership, I, I was in my younger days, I, did, I was an apparel designer. Um, I've, I've watched the evolution just as you have. You, you saw the 80s and what uh, the khakis. Right. And, the, and nothing wrong with khakis. <laughs> right. But, but it was, it was very standardized back in the day. And, and then things began to change, and we started to see some good things. I, I think one of the things that's really 
come 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 of age as textiles. I think I think fabrics yeah. have really made a nice leap in the last ten years. Um, and and so what we're doing is it's really the same concept, if you will, Ted, to what we do with golf bags. It's something I'd been planning to do for years. I had to find the right factory, and and Michael Moore, who owns Phoenix, was a great fit, and we're good friends. And we decided, you know what, we need to bring this uniqueness and this custom ability uh, to the public. And so what we're doing is we're actually, and again, nothing. There's nothing wrong with with folks who have companies who want to take their logos and put them on a, on another brand's shirt. That's fine. Right. But what we're providing now is we're people are coming to us, and we're actually creating custom designs just for them on the finest moisture wicking fabrics that are out there. And they're out on the tour now, as you saw with Bullseye Sports, who is one of the lead sponsors I built for. And, and, mm-hmm. and with that, they're going to get something that's totally unique and creative to their company. I'll give you an example. I'm building, I'm building, I got a call from a gentleman off the tour who um, owns a company called they have Buckley Powder. And, and basically mm-hmm. what it is is explosives. And uh, <laughs> major company in the United States, um, and they wanted something unique. You know, they've seen our work, and they said, you know, we've got to come up with something. And so literally his his stuff that we've been to, we're working on right now it's an explosion on the shirt and, wow. and it's those kinds of things that are you know you just can't do in other places and we've we've actually been able to engineer this down so so the minimums aren't too low but on the other side you, you know there's certain minimums we have to follow and guidelines we have to stick with it but what we're also going to do in april is we're going to bring our phoenix line which i'm going to have my own um, edition shirts that'll be done for certain tour players on the line and um, and then we're going to also be able to provide some retail options too for people which is something that is kind of neat and we'll, we'll have that involved and some of my collections will be involved in some of those too with phoenix so it's a really it's it's a neat, neat thing that, like I said, it's something I've wanted to do for many years, and we're finally here. And uh, we, it's funny. I've been doing the custom work now for almost two years, which has been phenomenal. But this is another aspect to it. And, and we had a great PGA show and signed a lot of the brands to, that we're doing work for, including um, Vertical Groove Golf. Uh, we've been talking to Argolf, Arcoast. We're talking to all these really up-and-coming companies and helping them do something mm-hmm. unique. And that's really what this is all about. Yeah, and, and that's, you know, everybody, you know, you always hear this sort of buzzwords going around growing the game and that, but it's not just the, the teaching side and it's not just the playing side of the game. There's the other components as well, and that's one of the reasons why I do this show is, um, you know, I, I make no bones about it. I'm not trying to compete with the Golf Channel here uh, and, and talking week in, week out about, you know, who won the latest uh, PGA event or LPGA event, things like that, because um, that's what the, the Golf Channel does so well but there's so many great companies and so many great teachers and instructors out there um, that the general public maybe doesn't get a chance to see or, or get here showcased um, unless they get a, a special feature or something on, on something like the golf channel or, or ESPN golf. Um, so this is one of the reasons why I put this program together was really to be able to uh, create a forum, if you will, of discussion. So we can talk about companies like you and, and, uh, and, and, and showcase some of that, uh, that talent out there because it really is a talent. It's not just, um, you know, a bunch of guys talking about golf swings week in, week out. It's it's about showcasing companies as well, and um, you know, and, and helping grow the game in that uh, area as, as well. Um, it's certainly appreciated by all means, and and there are, like you said, I, I don't 
I, I think the good news in all that is I think I think because of social media, Ted, I, I do believe that which the work that you're doing, these are the types of things that allow some of these young companies who do some beautiful work out there. And right. I mean I, I can't even tell you the number of putter companies, the number of I mean, I think of companies like Putter Lounge and and uh, the, the, mm-hmm. they, they do some, Kurtenbach family does some beautiful work, and now they have carbon putters. I mean, you look at a lot of these, and there's a lot of stories like that out there who do phenomenal work, don't get a lot of press. But right. the more that they can be emphasized in this day and age, people have, can look and say, hey, you know what, I've got more options than just the generics that we've been used to over the years. You know what I mean? Right. Yeah, and that's so true. And and you're seeing a lot of innovative people come into the into the market that maybe never, um, you know. I can even remember years ago when Nike first got into golf. I mean, you know, people kind of laughed at the, you know, even though Nike was a phenomenal brand on its own, people just didn't envision. And yet they rose to be one of the top. Uh, now I know that they've recently uh, made some changes, but. Um, and, and are, are sort of, I don't know if they're out completely now, but they're sort of weaning themselves out of, of golf a little bit, or at least that's the last I'd heard. But, but you know, the, here's a company that was, you know, really started with, with um, you know, the likes of like Michael Jordan and, and others in, in basketball and, and other sports areas um, suddenly decided they were going to bring their hand. And, you know, who do they, do they get under their wing? But uh, Tiger Woods, you know, one of the, the best right. golfers on this planet. Um, what a feather in your cap to have as, as a new company to get, uh, you know, the best player in the world at that particular time. So, you know, and, and again, it was just through that innovation and, um, and, and drive and determination. And there's been some other companies as well that are, are up and coming and, and doing that. Um, I, I want to give you, because I know that this was something that uh, you specifically wanted to talk about. Explain to the listeners um, the Folds of Honor, what, what that's about, why that's important for you to be involved in that. Well, you know, there's a few, a few things that we were talking about and, and, I, and I, that are important to me. And, and one of them, I, we'll talk, we can maybe mention Catfish Hunter in a few minutes, too. And, mm-hmm. and these yep. are things that are helping people. And, and, you know, I always said, I was telling my wife years ago, I said, you know, as we get stronger at what we do and, and we get in a position, we, we need to start working to give back in certain areas. Well, Ted, the challenge, the challenge, the challenge when you have a visual company, and, and it's a wonderful problem, let me tell you. But we get an average during peak golf season of 100 to 200 requests a month for donations, for giveaways, for yeah. um, sponsorships, for I mean, it's it, it's it's and it's such an right. honor that people would come to us for this, and some of the most special organizations you can imagine. My wife is a heart transplant coordinator for Children's Hospital, um, has been for 27 years. It's a, it's a, it's, she's one of the most kind, noble people you can ever imagine, most selfless human beings, and takes care of little children. It's a wonderful thing to see, and that is obviously children's is important to us. Um, the, the Folds of Honor, what I love about what they're doing is that they're supporting the veterans' families. And and right. and to me that's that's a and and the other thing that you have to put into it we're talking about Tony Beata and uh, and Mr mm. Rooney who are probably two of the kindest people I know you know who they are um, mm. that I've ever met and um, and and they're doing they're taking ninety percent of their proceeds and going to, to take care of families. And as you know, in, in, in this day and age of, of nonprofits, that is a pretty astronomical number. So yeah, that's incredible. I, 
and I be, and I, and that that helps. That I believe in them. I, I am blessed to be able to build for them and their players as they're if they become a new sponsor in the last couple of years. And so we built for Mr. Funk and Mr. Lehman, who just won this last week. It was their first sponsorship win, which was fantastic. Um, right. Mr. Allen, Michael Allen joined them this year too, and which is neat. So, we, and he has some neat bags and stuff for them. But we're going to join them with their catalog work and get some special things out there, so we can take part of the proceeds and go to their organization because we feel it's the right thing. Um, but, but really special sponsors that we work with there. Um, my uncle is, I think, for you, you'll know the name. I think a lot of people um, who are our age know, but I don't think the young folks know as much. Uh, if, I was I was blessed to grow up as a as a nephew of Catfish Hunter, the pitcher for the A's right. and the Yankees. I, and it was funny when they were winning World Series in um, seventy two, seventy three, and seventy four. You know, I was I, I have my own uniform when I was sitting in the dugout with my my cousin, his son, and I've got all these in my memorabilia room here. And uh, I didn't even know I didn't even know what I had at the time. <laughs> I was seven, eight, nine at that in those years, so I didn't know what was going on. But when the Seattle Mariners ended up coming here in, um, two, in, in 1976, Jimmy started coming here to pitch and had joined the Yankees. He actually started free agency after Finley wouldn't pay them and, uh, <laughs> and signed with Steinbrenner. And so we just happened to be at his house when that all went down in North Carolina. And uh, we came, we, we ended up, he ended up coming here a lot. And so, but he was a tre- tremendous pitcher one of the kindest people you can ever meet, a country boy that never right. not was a country boy. And, right. and, but Jimmy, Jimmy developed ALS, as, as you know. Um, and right. anyone out there who's been around ALS knows what a catastrophic disease it is. It's, it, it, when you see people with it and you know there's no hope. And um, yeah. it's something special. And, and uh, for people to – and so what, what's happened is – my aunt shares, it's called the Jim Catfish Hunter ALS Foundation, and um, I try to get people there as much as I can. It, it, and this is, this is actually to support, just like with Folds of Honor, it's to support the people who are afflicted, in this case, with the disease. And, um, and because if you've been around it at all, you know the kind of care they have to have. And so yeah, it's, it's just something that's important to us. And uh, so... Yeah, it's 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 round the clock, and you're you're right. It's it's you know you have to give kudos to to those that um, have family members that are afflicted with ALS. It's it's certainly um, one of the not that any disease is, is is good, but it's probably one of the worst out there because it affects so many areas um, of the body. But um, and and kudos to you and, and your group for for you know rising to that challenge and also for the folds of honor you're right i think a lot of times um you know we want to to give special recognition to uh many of the servicemen and women um but more often than not a lot of the families uh you know and and it's not through any one particular fault or not but are forgotten a lot of times that what they have to deal with afterwards, um, not just with the ones that have, have lost a service member, but the ones that maybe have had a wounded uh, warrior come back and now have to really make some drastic changes to their to their lives uh, in order to to sort of um, you know accommodate some of the changes that, that have happened, and it's not an easy task. So um, you know it's it's great. I think you're right, Stephen. I think that that it's important for an organization or, or company uh, and, and a family unit to 
to do something to give back um, to their communities, uh, I think it speaks volumes of, of your organization. You know, it's one thing to just write a check, uh, and it's another thing to just say, well, we support this. Um, but, you know, you actually, you know, become more involved in it, and you're, you're taking it to sort of that next level, which means a lot to these individuals that you're helping um, and, and, uh, you know, any help obviously is appreciated, but, um, when you go that extra mile to, to really do something and, and to, um, sort of ante up your company as, as, um, as, you know, somebody or, or an entity that's going to help some of these different families and, and, uh, that are struggling with some of the challenges that they are, um, speaks volumes to the people that, uh, like yourself and, and those that work for you. So, uh, kudos to you guys uh, for doing that. Well, I think I think it's kudos to the people who are doing this. I, I mean, with Tony sure. Biata, if, if you met Tony, if you you know, I I haven't had the time to spend with Mr. Rooney, but you know, it was it was interesting. My dad's college teammate, his name was Rod Yeager, um, Colonel Rod Yeager, and uh, actually Rod came to you know he Rod was a golfer. Rod was a colonel in the Air Force, played college golf with my dad in Missouri, um, ended up playing in two senior opens. Um, when, when I, when I built the company, he said, Oh my gosh, I love what you're doing, Steve. I want to be a part of it. I want to do some things with you. This and that didn't have a ton of time, but, but, but always was good for advice and, and, and did help us in many areas. And then a few years ago, uh, went over with me we, we went to the PGA show together and, um, Rod had been through several stints of, uh, skin cancer. Um, and, uh, he had been based in, in Hickam. Uh, Air Force Base for years and years. That's where we used to go see him play golf and so forth at the Hickam Air Force Base. And, and he was a heck of a player. I mean, he lived golf. He traveled all over. He had a travel company that he worked with, and they uh, they scooter him on all over the place and take groups for outings in, you know, in Ireland and Scotland and all of that. And, and, and Rod was the one who actually told me about the Folds of Honor and said, said what a great group it was and spoke of Mr. Rooney. And then... Not too long afterwards is when Tony Beata got in touch with me. And when I met Tony, it was just instantaneous. It was the right fit. And the hard part, as you right. know, with all these tests is, is, you know, you, you hate to have to choose one and, 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 and right. leave other great organizations, but you can't do it all. You just can't. But this was, for me personally, I believe where we're going with this with, uh, with Folds of Honor is, is the right fit for what we do, and it's the right fit for moving forward. And, and, and the reason I was telling you about Rod was because we lost Rod last month. Uh, he had another mm. bout of cancer, got it in his, got it in wow. his jaw. And uh, and literally went through another. He had his jaw shut after surgery for about three months, and then just deteriorated, and we lost him. And uh, mm. so I, you know, mm. I've had some good friends, PGA good friends, who actually two guys who've gone with me to the PGA show. One came back, developed lung cancer, died six months later, and then I then we lost Rod. So it's you know wow. cancer, um, ALS. These are tough ones. Um, you know, I put a post in yesterday. I felt so bad for Jason Day, his mother going through lung cancer also. Um, it's just, you know, these are things that we have to pay attention to. Yeah, I actually just lost uh, here just in, in the last weeks. The, uh, I turned 53 March 16th, and the week before that, I lost my oldest brother to cancer. Um, it, oh. Very, uh, yeah, very, very sudden, very oh, quick, uh, very unexpected. Yeah, thank you. And, um, you know, it, it's just one of these things that, and he was, uh, I believe, 68. So you know, still um, 
plenty of life and, and healthy up to that point, you know, and then all of a sudden it just, uh, something happened and they, you know, took him into the, uh, to the hospital and, and found out that, uh, he had it in some major organs and that, but never had any issues before, but just one of these diseases that just sometimes can take hold and, and, uh, there was no looking back, but you know, it, 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 it's, it, you're right. It's, it's difficult for companies. I mean, I get, um, you know, even with this show, um, you know, I'm always glad to, to help, but I, I can't always accommodate everybody at, at their timing. I have to, um, you know, I try to do what I can, but I, a lot of times I get requests to, to do the show and sometimes I have to delay it or sometimes I just can't for, for whatever reason, um, meet that particular obligation, but I try to do my best. But um, it, it's it's a tough choice, and, and again, it's it's uh, it's great that you're you're doing that, and reaching out in in every way that you can for your communities. Let's talk about um, something that caught my eye. We we sort of brushed on it in the in the opening uh, comments. Um, obviously, as I said, you do a lot of work with uh, doing some work with the PJ and LPJ, but also uh, you had some sort of a connection with the uh, the Rio Olympics in 2016. Tell us about that. Yeah, we actually um, we actually were contacted uh, from the host country originally, and mm-hmm. uh, Brazil. And Nico, their coach, um, what a wonderful man he is. We we thoroughly enjoyed our time. You know, I, I, it's so funny because as you get to know people, as you know, in this business, and mm-hmm. and for yep. people who aren't very tied into this business, there are just wonderful people in the golf business. It it is mm-hmm. it is a pretty doggone tight knit community. And, um, and I, I feel like I could go down to Brazil tomorrow and I'd have a place to stay and place to play golf. And and it's just the way uh, people are. And that's what I've always loved about golf. It's what my dad is a a professional here in Seattle always said Mm -hmm. about golf. And I think there's always been a beauty to the game about having that, um, having that, uh, learning, the learning the fundamentals of golf, learning the, the etiquette of golf. I think etiquette of golf is probably the biggest thing that uh, could be helping our entire society, as you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> but, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but, but we got contacted by Brazil, and uh, we began the process. And I, he said, I want something special for the Olympics. I want to put together some neat bags. And we started to put together bags. And then I said, you know what? We need to. We sh- we probably should look at doing some accessories. We started to put together all the head covers. Um, and and put together just a beautiful package for their team, and and it was such an honor that first day um, when Adilson stood up on the first tee to to tee off and open up the open up the Olympics. I mean, uh, that is special stuff. Uh, Gary Player, special sure. moment. Rio Olympics, yeah. special moment. Um, you know, those are things that you just and, and again had what golf hadn't been there in over a hundred years. And the right. Lord knows it's been due to bring golf back. I, I think it was wonderful for the game. And I'm sure when they come back to Japan, we'll have everybody there the next time. So, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's, it was a great honor. We uh, also did builds for other countries too, including Colombia and, and uh, Malaysia. And just some beautiful bags and something very unique that uh, not everybody had seen, which was neat. You know, the other one that I that I did want to mention too, if you don't mind, um, is Bullseye sure. Sports. Yes. Bullseye Sports. This is one that people I probably I probably don't even have to tell a lot of your audience because they probably are seeing it everywhere all over Facebook if they're Facebook people <laughs> and over Instagram. Right. Because when I I had about a year ago a gentleman came to me who's become one of my good close friends and his name is Jordan Hill. 
Jordan had made his money in coming up with an erosion control patent. He's based out of Florida in erosion control in lake beds and has done, and done tremendously well. And, but he had, a, he, he had something that he'd always wanted to do. He said, Steve, I, I, I love my bull, and I, and I want to have, you know, if, if nothing else, even as a hobby, I want to have a brand. I want a golf brand, and I want to build a golf brand. I guess I want you to design it. And so wow. I, we, started, we started to work together and uh, started to develop, and I had relationships with a number of players and this and that that I've known. One of, one of my friends that I really I, I just love, who's just a great person, is West Short Jr. on the Champions Tour. And mm-hmm. uh, you will not find a nicer man. People have not – you want to go to a great tour and meet everybody, go to the Champions Tour sometime because almost yep. every one of those gentlemen will take the time to talk to you. And um, so I, I got I got connect. I thought here's to West Short. I've been building for West since he went on the Champions Tour, and uh, I said, Wes, you're you're a Texas Longhorn. How can being going with Bullseye Sports as a sponsor be bad? <laughs> so, <laughs> so we we connected them, and then we started out adding a bunch of young bucks to them, and and just made some really fun, creative design wear. And the one thing I loved about Jordan, Jordan wasn't looking to make a ton of money per se as far as marking up stuff. Where, you know, the shirts that he has, the, the quality that are there are, you know, $70 shirts in, in retail. Right. Well, he decided, you know what, I'm bringing it out to the public and I'm bringing it out at $39.99. And so hmm. we started to build this wonderful brand. And I'm not kidding, Ted. I can't even build the product fast enough to put wow. to, to have available for him. And so he do, it's all done online. Um, the, the people on the tour stops just love it. Wes, Wes was a very 80s dresser, like you, you, you and I know, um, right. when I first met him. <laughs> right. I got to tell you, he's one of the most dapper, outstanding-looking gentlemen on the Champions <laughs> Tour right now. <laughs> and, and has some fabulous-looking bags, and uh, they, they, they have a lot of fun with it. But it's, it's really, really neat. It's an exciting new brand, and I'm thrilled to be a part of it, and I'm proud to call Jordan one of my good friends. I'm, I'm going back down to Florida next week. And then back to Florida again two months later, and I'm going to be spending time with him and his wife. And, and these people, they call literally almost every person that comes through the turnstile to order. They talk to them. And, 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 and you know, wow. one of the things that I will say in business, and I've, I've been in business a lot of years, so I've, I've, got, some, I've got some age on I used to say it's not the age, it's the mileage. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, right. And so the, one, the, the thing that I hope with younger people who are in the business who are out there keep in mind moving forward, I, I've always been amazed is that in this business, so many people do their business dealing strictly online with email and, and don't put a voice to it and don't put a right. person to it. And, and I got to tell you, I try as much as I can, and I told them early in their game, I said, listen, you want to you wanna make an impact with people, take the time to talk to them. And so I try as much as I can to call people, and it always amazes me how many people are shocked that an owner of a company would actually call them. But the reality mm. is it, it's, it's what makes your business what it is. And so I understand that you can't do that once you get to a certain point, but I'm doing everything I can to keep it as tight as much to that as I can. And, uh, but it's real important. People need to talk to people and, and it's, and it's how you do business. And so 
Anyway, but uh, this this line for Bullseye Sports, people can take a look at them. It's called bullseyesports.net, and the bulls is B-U-L-L-Z, is in zoo, and uh, right. it's letter I, and then sports.net. And they will get some of the greatest value of apparel out there, and it is beautiful stuff. It really is. And we've done their accessories well, and other well, I might uh, might ask you to do me a, a, a slight favor and, and reach out to your friend Jordan and tell him I'd love to have him come on as a guest. And maybe you can put a bug in his ear, and, and I'll certainly reach out as well. But um, I think that would be an interesting uh, story as well to, to share and, and give him some uh, additional exposure for his uh, his uh, brand and that. But, uh, um, oh, you bet. Yeah, no, Jordan I, would love to talk to you. Yeah, I, I think it would be uh, interesting and, and just sort of to, to carry a little further on, on what you're doing in that. Um, you, you know, it, it's interesting that you mentioned that. You're exactly right. You know, really building a business is, is really based on building relationships. Um, you know, everybody talks about sales and, and things like that, and, and sales is certainly obviously uh, we have to have them to survive. But really the sales are, are based on relationships. And, and, you know, you're right. In this technological age, I mean, you know, obviously we, we have things to, to speed the process up, but I go back to, uh, you know, and, and if anybody had been watching the golf channel here lately, uh, during the Bay Hill, they've been featuring a lot of, uh, stories that about Arnold Palmer and Arnold was, was really not just the King on the golf course, but King off the golf course. I mean, he made a point and I forget now the player, I know he did this for everybody, but the player that they were interviewing, um, I'm not sure if it was uh, Watson or somebody, uh, in one of the, the segments, and they mentioned about how every time that they won out in the PGA Tour, Arnold Palmer sent them a, a handwritten note. And, um, yeah. you know, especially yeah. when they, you know, not just his tournament, but, you know, other tournaments, they, whether it be the Masters or what have you, you know, he would send them. Now, obviously, over time, you know, I think it, it you know, he may have uh, not necessarily done handwritten, but, uh uh, just because just the volumes, but he made a point of doing that, and I think that's why people connected so well. It wasn't just, you know, his his fame out in the golf course or his brands. It was his personability and his relationship building skills. Uh, he was a master at it. I mean, he was, you know, he looked you in the eye, he shook your hand, he talked to you, and he connected with you. And I think that's why, probably more so. I mean, as many people appreciate and love, uh, and this is no disrespect to him, Jacks. Um, traditions and, and his abilities, I think between the two, if you were to put them up against one another, I'd still say Arnold would probably come out on top, even though he may not have won as many tournaments overall, or certainly majors, um, but just their personalities. Arnold was a much more of a people person than I think Jack was. Oh, exactly. Jack certainly was friendly, you know what I'm saying, but just personality style. And that's why, right, that's why, yeah, and, and again, I, I love Jack Nicholas. He's phenomenal, and he's he a wonderful person. He'll give you time of day but their personalities were different um and, and i think that's why arnold was was so uh, beloved in, in the golf industry um yeah, yeah and he's, you know, he's unique and you know one of the one of the things in, in talking about sales you know I, I think so many people we we used to say and i ran a sales organization for 20 years and and one of the things that that i'm a true believer that i was taught early in my career is that so people so many people are so busy telling people what to think they're not. Right. They're not asking them how they feel. And 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 the reality. I used to. I used to. I'm going to bring dating out on you here, Ted. <laughs> and and so I, I used. To, I used to tell folks that you know if if you if if you want to make a sale, if you for example if you're going to go date, if you're going to go out on a date with somebody, I said I have a hard time believing that you're going to sit in front of your date and you're going to talk about how wonderful you are. 
I said, right. I, I think what you're probably going to do if you're going to be successful in that date and develop a relationship is you're going to ask about the other person and, sure. and who they are and what they do. And, and quite honestly, it is the reason that sales, I think, uh, unfortunately gets a bad name out there is because people don't understand the concept of how, how to sell and that if you right. have a good product and if you do the right things and you take care of people – Sales is a byproduct of what you yes. do. It's just going to happen. And so you put in the right things every day and good things happen. And that's really what it's all about. But you, you need to be able to be personal. And that's really that generation. Um, I know my father-in-law is that way. I give my wife yep. credit. She does that too. She learned it from her dad. But they write letters. I mean, they literally, you know, when they're happy about something, they'll write a letter. If something isn't right, they'll write a letter. And it's a lost art. But no matter what, always the ability to involve and engage people is a really important thing to do in business. Right. And I, and I think that goes to, um, you know, really what we've talked about here tonight and why the success of your organization has has, uh, you know, soared. And that's because of the relationship building that you have done uh, and your father and, and others involved in the company um, have been able to do. It's, it's not just, I mean, the products are obviously great, but the products don't sell themselves entirely. I mean, people have yeah. to, yeah. you know, stand behind those products. They have to be able to um, support that with, with good, um, uh, you know, a good support system, but they also have to make those connections. And once you start making those connections, um, it, you know, referrals just start coming in and people say, well, you know, Hey, I, you know, yeah. I spoke to Steve or I worked with his group and yeah, they were great to deal with. They, you know, they really took the time to sit down with me and talk to me and listen and, and were concerned about my issues and concerns that I might have and, and so on and so forth. And it wasn't just, you know, as though they're being treated as a number. So uh, again, that's, uh, yeah. speaks volumes about your organization. Um, Stephen, well, unfortunately, you know, I, I hate to say this, but we're, we're actually out of time. Okay. But um, I, I really enjoyed this conversation, and I wanted to get you on the show for a while, and I'm glad that, uh, that you uh, uh, reciprocated and, and uh, reached out to me as well, and uh, glad that we oh, were able to connect here on the show, and, and I, I would love to have you come back on. Yeah, I would love to have you come back on again in, in the future and, and update us on some of the things happening uh, as they unfold. But uh, in the meantime, let the folks know, for those that are, that are interested, for any of our corporate listeners or even those, uh, some of those professionals out there that are tuning into the show, which I know there are plenty of you are, um, that maybe are interested in, in, uh, in, in connecting with you and, and, and learning more about uh, some of the great products that you have to offer. How can they go yeah, through that? Yeah, thanks. Yeah, the other, and by the way, thank you so much for having us on. We appreciate it. It's it's, it's a lot of fun, and I, I had no doubt between you and I, we'd have we'd have no problem filling an hour. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, I can I agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> but here's the thing, you know, it, it, there's a lot of special things, and, and even for the for the general consumer and the the everyday Joe golfer out there. You know, there's some really special things that we put out. One of the things that I think people would love, and, and, I, and I don't know many who are doing it this way, but one of those beautiful things we build is, um, is, is leatherette uh, stand bags. And they literally oh, okay. are some of the most beautiful bags you will ever see. Um, but people can come online, take a look at us, and you can obviously always join us on Facebook. We're easy to locate. It's, the, the website is... Uh, www.ufotourgolf, all one word, .com. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're on Facebook and Instagram and LinkedIn, and we're on all the social media. And one of the things I think your, your folks will really enjoy, 
whether you're a company or a pro or, a, or, or an everyday consumer of golf and just love to play golf, is coming to our Facebook page at UFO Tour Golf. You'll get to see all the projects. We, we probably post two to three or four a day um, so people can see different things, whether it's tour pros, whether it's just a, a gentleman who just built one of the coolest bags you've ever seen, whatever. Right. But there's always something unique on there, and it gets people excited, and it's not just your everyday thing. And, and this is quite honestly, Ted, between you and I, the reason that I will probably – do this work until the day I drop because I just <laughs> love doing what I do. It, well, there, that, I, I could not imagine doing anything different than this. Well, and that's I think you have to enjoy what you're doing as I enjoy doing this uh, every week. Um, you know, here Thursday nights at Golf Talk Live, Tuesday morning on the golf show. I will be great just like yourselves and many other So, Again, Steve, tonight in Golf Talk, it's been a pleasure and uh, giving you an opportunity and uh, some contact information on the website as well, but go to www.ufotourgolf.com and uh, you can see all the great uh, different things that uh, they're working on and some very uh, great golf bags and, and accessories as well. But Steve, thank you very much for joining me tonight on Golf Talk Live. It's been a pleasure, and I look forward to having you join me again Thanks again, Ted. Have a great night. You too. Bye-bye. Right. That was a very special guest, uh, Stephen, the person of UFO Tour Golf. A great, uh, great line of products. And um, I also want to thank the Coach's Corner panel, uh, Clint Wright, Chuck Evans, and John Dunnigan, uh, Brian Dobby, and uh, rounding up the panel, Tom Stickney, managed to join us. Uh, towards the end, thank you uh, guys for doing a phenomenal job. Thank you to all the listeners from around the world for this opportunity uh, uh, to, you know, do the show and, and uh, the other show on Tuesday mornings. Uh, it's really because of all of you, uh, all of the listeners worldwide, for faithfully tuning into Golf Talk Live each week that uh, makes it uh, a first-class show. And it's really uh, also have a lot, of, a lot of pleasure and enjoyment having a number of highly talented coaches, uh, teaching pros, authors, and entrepreneurs. Uh, stop by the and, and again it's through their uh, efforts and their doings that, that have helped to make this a, a great show a special thanks to some of the sponsors and supporters of the show Jonathan Laird of South Coast Golf Guide go to southcoastgolfguide.com and uh, get your hot little hands on a copy of uh, Jonathan's guide that has some great courses you can just check out online on his website information Nikki and Tiffany Litherland thanks for helping spread the word uh, and Mr. Bernie Pinder from OnticGolf.com thank you uh, Bernie for all of your support Mr. Sean Kelly uh, of LinkedGolfers.com and also Mr. Peter 